0: And the beautiful thing um, about God is that we are promised his love and that we can accept his promise by accepting him into our hearts. And the last line of the chorus, I will trust the promise, you will carry me safe to shore. A lighthouse is a light for a ship's safe guidance into shore. That's what God is to us. He is our light and he is... What we have our faith in every single day, he guides us on the right path of our faith. So join me in the next song. Okay.
1: singing and worship. I want to read the first six verses of Psalm 89. We're going to look at God's covenant with David today. And uh, Psalm 89 speaks of that. And one thing we see in God's covenant with David is God's faithfulness. We see that on display. And Psalm 89 speaks of that. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever forever that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones for who in the skies above can compare with the Lord who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings. Father, we are grateful that there is none like you that you are worthy of worship, that you are exalted, you are high, you're majestic, you are holy. And God, we're grateful that you're faithful, that you're faithful to a thousand generations, that your faithfulness is on display in your covenant with David. It's on display in your covenant with us as Christ followers Thank you that you are for your steadfast love being fixed on us as your children. God, as we give and as we sing and as we worship you this morning, may we be reminded of your faithfulness. May we declare your faithfulness not only to the next generation, but to our own hearts. Holy Spirit, move and work in our midst this morning. We love you and be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Morning, church. You can have a seat. I'm Kevin Funk, one of the elders here at Cross Point. I'm really excited to see everyone here today. Um, I hope during this time of communion is that we can all put our focus on Jesus. Uh, for most of us, uh, we don't have to work tomorrow, and uh, with the beautiful weather, I'm sure there'll be uh, plenty of amazing memories created. But for right now, I pray that you will hear God through me. As we spend time with our families this weekend, and this being a family service, I wanted to share some childhood memories I had growing up in church. Every Sunday I would attend church services with my family, and I can't tell you now how precious these memories are to me today as God went home to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. I remember during the afternoon services playing with my Legos in the benches. I remember my dad always having an assortment of candy in his suit pocket, knowing that one of his kids needed something to munch on. From Neko wafers to layman football mints to sensen if anybody knows what those are, I could always count on my dad having something to hand out. I also had plenty of observations of my dad throughout the services. I can still hear his voice trying to stay in tune with, with the hymns. I can remember his heavy eyelids on occasion, and then I remember his contagious smile when I would give him a tap on the leg to stay awake. I remember watching him kneel and pray. And man, did that guy pray a lot. Not just in church, but you know, every, every night before bed, every single night, and just watch him praying. I remember his leadership in our home. Uh, but most importantly, I remember his unmatched passion for Jesus and his love for other people. What I don't remember while growing up in our church was the act of communion, or really even hearing that word. I had no clue what communion was. I think I was around 16 when I witnessed my first communion. It was with my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, at her Lutheran church. Looking back, it saddens my heart that I never really knew what communion was or what it really meant. I had a hard heart towards God back then, and therefore I really didn't ask any questions or really care to find out what it was. That's why I don't want one person leaving here today not to understand what the act of communion is, or just think it's some weird ritual that every other church does. Uh, the best way I can describe why we do what we do here at Crosspoint is because of the perfect example of Jesus that we try to imitate. Now, Jesus led the first communion right in front of his disciples and showed them how to do it. In Luke 22:19, Jesus says, Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus wants to do something to remember him by, And this is something all believers can come together in community as one complete body of Christ. Communion is a symbolic way to remember what Jesus did for us. Communion is to simply celebrate Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Communion is to simply celebrate Jesus' life, and now he is simply seated at at the right hand of God, and now he's reigning over heaven and earth. Please understand that this is a sacred time between you and the Lord. It it is a time to remember what Christ did and a time to celebrate his victory over death. It's also a time to x-ray your own heart. If you feel convicted by the Holy Spirit of a lingering sin, communion is a perfect time to confess it to God. Psalm 139, 24 says, See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. If anything if anything about Jesus is recorded in the Bible, you know it's definitely something to pay attention to. Uh, the last part of the verse in 1 Peter 2:21, Peter says, "He is your example, and you must follow his steps." In light of this verse, I see Jesus as our ultimate example. So as we try to imitate Him, we become more and more like him. Spending time with someone is really the only way to get to know that person, right? So getting into a daily routine with our Bibles, talking with others about Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, taking your eyes off of yourself, and seeing the needs of others around you are just a few ways to cultivate that relationship with Jesus. So as we take communion, the bread represents his body that was broken down for you and I. The juice represents the blood that was shed on the cross. The same blood that wipes away all sin is the same precious blood that was spilled on the ground and is available To cleanse every sin for every person who understands and is ready to accept his freely given gift. If you have not made that most important decision in your life by asking for forgiveness of your sins and letting Jesus reign your life, uh, please let the trays pass you by. But if you're ready for Christ to reign your life, you can use this time of communion to take that ultimate step and confess your need for a Savior. I realize you may still have some questions, and that's okay. After communion, After communion is over, let someone know that who has confessed this already, and they can begin to walk this unforgettable journey with you. Now, Jesus is the only one that can wipe away every sin. Yes, even that really nasty one that you might be thinking of right now. I used to have a deep wound of regret I thought I could never get rid of. Every time I was reminded of this utter embarrassment, it felt like I had a uh, backpack of gravel on my back until I gave it to God. Someday I will share that power of God's grace and healing in my life, but for now I would ask that those of you who need to confess, repent, and turn away from your current ways of living, that this is a great time to profess your allegiance to Jesus. So please hear me when I, when I say, no, no matter what you have done, you can never out God's grace in your life. He loves you more than words can explain. Uh, So parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, older siblings, those of you who know Jesus on an intimate level, the little ones are watching, just as I was 30-some years ago. We can never tell what is sinking in and what isn't, but we do know for sure that they are paying attention and learning from us who are older. As we take communion together today, please take some time and explain to your kids, young and old, what the bread represents and what the juice represents. This family service is a perfect time to be an example and a leader for your family. After you walk out of these doors today, continue to tell your children over and over again until there is no question in their minds what communion is and what it represents. Uh, Would the ushers like to come forward and pass out the bread and juice? Um, Both bread and juice are stacked on top of one another, so please take both cups as they're they're passed out. Um, After a time of prayer and family bonding, I will go ahead and lead us through the taking of the bread and juice together and then uh, finish up with some prayer. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 25 says, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Take the bread. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, "This cup is the new covenant between God and His people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. The strength the juice.") <coughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time of communion, a time that we can get right with you, a time that we can remember that ultimate sacrifice that you paid on the cross. We thank you so much that as the as a group of believers, we can all gather around each other and just remember your incredible life, your incredible <clears throat> perfect life for us, and we just thank you so much, just an unbelievable sacrifice for every one of us to have a free, a free gift of salvation through that blood that was shed on the cross. Lord, I just uh, want to thank you for the freedom that we get through that sacrifice, an unbelievable freedom that is found in, in no other place, no other person. Lord, I'm thankful for the, uh, the freedom that we have found in this country through this 4th of July weekend. We just thank you for the military that keep us safe day to day. Lord, I pray for the parents and grandparents and those who are raising up their kids in their homes. I pray that they are leaders and that they will share what this time of communion will mean over and over again. Lord, I'm so thankful for these times together that we can Be together and just pray to you and just love on you. Thank you once again. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Well, good morning again. Uh, My name is uh, Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. We're thankful that you're with us. In the month of July, we are um, uh, Sun Chasers, ages 3 through 6th grade, has taken a break Nurseries, baby, child, they're still um, available. But we do that uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that we want to bless those Sun Chaser volunteers with some rest, with an opportunity to, um, to rest, be, be in here if they've been back there serving, and uh, to be a part of the service. But we also do that, uh, and I love what Kevin said leading up into communion, but we also do that as an opportunity for families to, to gather together, to worship together. Now, here's the reality. I know that family service... It doesn't always, uh, you, you don't, depending on the age of your kids, the weather outside, how they woke up, how they went to bed, it doesn't always lead to, boy, this is just a restful time in the Lord, it doesn't always lead to that, I know that, but there is an opportunity there to make disciples alongside your kids, to, to have them see you sing, to have them see you take communion, to have, uh, okay, open up your Bible to Second Samuel and they open up their Bible and you look and you, you listen to a message together and then you go home and you consider it on the way home. And so just encourage you in that, in this month of July, to see those as opportunities if you have kids Uh, for disciple making opportunities there are activity pages back at guest connections we are tracking along just as if sun chasers would have been in full swing so they would have looked at the covenant of david and so we would have uh, we're going to look at it today as well so there are activity pages by age group back at guest connections feel free to grab those uh, at any point in the service if you need those if your kids need those before we get into the message we want to pray for bix and julie and their team so you guys want to come up Kevin, can I have that mic back? Uh, Bix and Julie are heading to the Middle East here uh, this month on a mission trip, and some of their team uh, are with us, and so I just wanted to have an opportunity to pray for them, hear how they're uh, going to be used and what they're going to be involved in, and Keep, in mind, really keep in mind Keep in mind, I morning. do need to preach after this. We said 10 yeah. minutes mm-hmm.
3: for you. Mm-hmm. So uh, hello and good morning, everybody, and uh, thanks, Dave, for allowing us to be here. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for your prayers and concerns and questions about us uh, going to the Middle East. We do leave next Saturday. Uh, bright and early 545 and uh, we get back on the 22nd of July so if you pray remember us or think about us pray for us Uh, our team this is not all of it but majority there's 13 of us and if you don't know me I'm Bix and this is my wife Julie and for some of you you may know Darrell Neal he went to Eureka High School and graduated for them Jesus forgave him I will too this is John Parker and John, or his wife, Elizabeth, right here, and their son, Noah. And we have Michelle Gladstone and Elizabeth and, and Berkey, Liz Berkey. So um, just real, I'm going to try and be brief, and you've heard me up here before say, well, we're doing VBS, blah, 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 blah. I want to tell you a story of what happened last year. Uh, we get into Abud, and Abud's about 12 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And uh, we're planning on doing VBS from 9 to noon. No, Catholic Church is doing theirs from 9 to noon, so you're going to do yours later. While we get there, we find out that the Catholic Church is taking their kids swimming on Saturday. The priest has told their kids, if you go to their VBS, then you're not allowed to go swimming. So we know of one child that came to our VBS. He went back the next day. The priest spit in his face and slapped him. And uh, our pastor, Abdallah, Uh, Went and talked to him during the week, and the priest said, I don't believe the same God you do, and I don't believe in your Jesus, blah, 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 blah. This gave us a chance to pray, and some of us were on that trip, well, Daryl and Julie and I, I think we're the holdovers. There's a couple, there's some that aren't here, but we got to pray for the priest. I received an email a month ago. They're asking us to come and share the gospel. With 150 kids. That is a praise. So um, be praying for that. But 150 kids to share the gospel with. What a change of heart. So, some other things we're going to be doing other than VVS um, for the first time ever, we're doing a men's Bible study, which Daryl's leading. We're doing a women's Bible study, and the Bible study is uh, actually in three parts, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. We're doing a women's Bible study and a women's retreat on Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday night, and that's a a brand-new thing for us. And uh, we're doing VBS. We're expecting 75 to 100 kids, and we're taking the kids swimming. And that is a treat because we're in the desert. So, but it's a treat to ride the buses with no air conditioning, and you probably put thirty or forty kids on a twenty-passenger school bus, and we'll smell pretty bad by the time we get back. So, in um, a brief, a brief synopsis, uh, we're going there to tell the people about Jesus, and one other thing that we're adding: we, we will be doing home visits like usual, but we're also planning on going and doing street witnessing and we're going into the Muslim section to do that. So it's, uh, do we feel, I don't feel endangered, but does anybody here feel, no? We believe that we're in God's will, and if we're in God's will, he will take care of us. So thank you, I want to thank you for your contribution because we will use that money to give the kids snacks and a drink, and the leftover money, we're going to use to take them swimming. So, thank you very much. And as I said, uh, please be praying for us. And a lot of my prayer partners aren't here, but most of the people I have praying for me from this church are under 14 years of age. So, <laughs> involve them too.
1: Thanks, oh, hold on. Pray for you. I'm pray for you. <clears throat> All right, uh, let's pray for these guys. Um, Father God, thank you for. Christ followers who are willing to go, Christ followers who are willing to say yes and to be stretched out of a comfort zone and to, to be used of you, not only uh, here in central, central Illinois, but to the ends of the earth. God, thank you for your faithfulness over the past year of how um, seeds were planted, and God, where um, as men and women, we would say it's impossible, but with you, it's possible. Thank you for opening doors. Thank you for planting seeds and um, and growing up um, that seed to the point of harvest, um, to the point of where we see it impacting generation after generation. We pray that that would happen on this trip, that you would continue to work, uh, you would not only provide for their safety and all the details of traveling and that kind of thing, but, but God, that... Um, you would reign supreme in their hearts and that um, the seed of the Word of God would be planted, uh, it'd be watered, it would fall on fertile soil and fertile hearts. And God, that it would return tenfold, a hundredfold. God, it wouldn't get choked out by the pleasures of this world. We pray for these kids that are going to hear the gospel, that, they would, uh, that you would help uh, this team join you in reaching that next generation. God, we love you. We love to see your heart for the nations. We love to see how your heart continues to reside in the area where Jesus walked and lived. Thank you for this team, how they are willing to walk as you have walked and how they abide in you. And I pray that not only you would work through them, but you would work in them. God, their own hearts would just be captured by your love for the nations and your love for them as your children. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Amen. Hey, Say one thing. you going to give me the mic back. Turn it on, even. All uh, right. If uh, any of you feel so led, um, we will be going back next year to a little town, a little village called Zababdi. And that's right about the spot where Jesus healed the ten lepers and the one came back and thanked him. Thanked him. So July 8th through July 21st, yes, I do plan way in advance. I am not a detailed person, but I do plan in advance. But if God's laying it on your heart that you want to talk about it, please see me. And that's, again, July 8th through July 21st, 2017. Thank you, sir. Thanks, man. That's good.
1: So continue to pray for them this month as they uh, serve. If you have a Bible, get to uh, 2 Samuel 7. In June, we are in 1 Samuel, looking at uh, King Saul and King David. We're going to be looking at King David this week and next week. Uh, and now we're moving kind of into 2 Samuel. And so we're going to watch the first two and a half minutes of this video to kind of catch us up to speed about where we've been and lead us up to 2 Samuel 7. So watch this.
0: book of 2 Samuel. Check out the video on 1 Samuel, where we were introduced to the book's three main characters, Samuel, Saul, and David, and then also to the book's literary design, which first introduced Samuel and then traced the rise and fall of King Saul in contrast to the rise of King David. 2 Samuel tells the story of David as Israel's king, and in two movements, there's a season of success and a blessing, followed by a huge moral failure and then its sad consequences. And then the book ends with this well-crafted conclusion that reflects back on the good and the bad in David's life, generating hope for a future king to come from his line. So Second Samuel picks up after Saul's death, and David surprises everyone by composing this long poem where he laments the death of the very man who tried to murder him. And so once again, the author, he's presenting David's humility and compassion. He's a man who grieves the death even of his own enemies. After this, David experiences a season of success and God's blessing. All of the Israelite tribes, they come to David and then they ask him to unify all the tribes as their king. And so the first thing David does as king is to go to the city of Jerusalem. He conquers it and he establishes it as Israel's capital city, which he renames as Zion. And from there, David goes on and he wins many battles and expands Israel's territory. Now, after making Jerusalem the political capital of Israel, he wants to make it their religious capital as well. And so he has the Ark of the Covenant moved into the city. And then in Second Samuel 7, he tells God, now that Israel has a permanent home, he thinks that God's presence should also get a permanent house. So he asks if he can build a temple for the God of Israel. But God says to David, thank you for that thought, but actually I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty. Now. Second Samuel 7, this is a key chapter for understanding the storyline of the whole Bible. Because God here makes a promise to David that from his royal line will come a future king who's going to build God's temple here on earth and set up an eternal kingdom. And it's this messianic promise to David that gets picked up and developed more in the book of Psalms and also in the books of the prophets. And it's this king that gets connected to God's promise to Abraham. The future messianic kingdom will be how god brings his blessing to all of the nations and it's right here in the midst of all this divine blessing that things go horribly wrong david makes a fatal mistake right. not fatal for him but for a man named uriah one of david's prized soldiers so from his there. rooftop david sees uriah's wife we're bathsheba
1: um, we're gonna pick up that next week looking at uh, david and uriah and yes or david and bathsheba and um Yes, that will be a family service, and it will go well for you. It's okay. It won't lead to um, too many crazy conversations at lunch, hopefully. Um, But uh, I'm not preaching, so if it goes wrong, it's not on me. Um, So good luck, Elder Ron. Um, So today we're looking at Chapter 7, a key chapter in the overall storyline of Scripture. Uh, This chapter is known as God's Covenant with David, or the Davidic Covenant. This is happening around uh, 1000 B.C., so we're reading about something that took place over 3,000 years ago, and yet here's the thing, it has implications for our lives today. Every time we open up, open up our Bibles, we've got this opportunity to learn about our God, to learn about His character and who He is. We too often overlook the very thing that's sitting in front of us. We say, God, tell, teach me, help me experience you, and it's sitting right in front of us. The Word of God to tell us who God is, and so often we neglect it. So today, in looking at this one chapter, I pray that we'll get to know our God better because what we see, David, we, we see David get to know God better, and it lead to worship. It leads to him worshiping the Lord, and I pray that does for us as well as we look at this. On the back of your program, there are a few key points that we'll be working through, but the very big idea here is that I want us to walk away with is that God is faithful. Our God keeps His promises. He is not a God who backs out of a promise, but He is forever faithful. And a covenant promise that He made 3,000 years ago, He is continuing to remain faithful to it, and He will forever. Sunchaser kids, I've got a question for you. Have you ever broken a promise? Have you ever told that friend, I like how oh, hands shot up right away, I love that honesty. But have you ever told a friend of, hey, I'll sit with you at lunch, and then another friend asks you, and you didn't sit with that first friend, you sat with this friend, or you, you told a friend, hey, I'm going to come over this weekend and play, or we're going to go to recess, and we'll, we'll play kickball together, or whatever you play, four squared. But then you get to recess, or you get to the weekend, and it doesn't come to pass. Or how about this one? You told your parents, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll listen next time. I'll obey next time. And then that next time came, and you didn't listen, and you didn't obey. And you didn't do it perfectly how you promised. You broke a promise. Raise your hand, kids, if you've broken a promise before. All right now, adults and students, teenage students and hype students, have you ever broken a promise? Yeah, we all have in this room. That's the nature of promises. Now, that's not an excuse to say, "Ah, oh, who cares? I break promises." It's not that. But it's just the reality of, of, of being uh, having a sinful nature and having fallen short of God's glory. But our God, He keeps His promises. All our hands are raised, but the Lord, when He makes a promise, He follows through on it every single time. Our God is faithful to those who love and trust in Him. You and I need to know that not just in eternity, but the here and now that we serve A God who is faithful, faithful to give grace to the humble, faithful to meet all our needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus, faithful to be present with us, faithful to comfort us when we grieve, faithful to save when we repent and believe the good news, faithful to to not lose any one of His children, but seal them with the Holy Spirit. Knowing God is faithful, it leads us to worship. One commentator said, 2 Samuel 7 is the most crucial theological statement in the entire Old Testament. In many ways, this chapter echoes back to the previous parts of Scripture and then points us forward to the coming Christ in the New Testament, eventually all the way to the very last chapter in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. So we're going to go from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22 this morning. And tucked right there in the middle is 2 Samuel 7. God's covenant with David. And thus far in this chrono- chronological journey, we've looked at different covenants or promises that God has made. So first of all, let's go backward, see how this story builds up to this point to see God's, how God's covenant with David echoes back to specifically that one with Abraham. In Genesis 3, God tells Adam, promises that one day an offspring will come to crush the enemy, to step on the serpent's head and bring about redemption and restoration of this world, to return a people back to a place that is spoken of in Genesis 1 and 2, God's original design. From there, we jump to the story of Noah and the flood in Genesis 6 through 8. And God promises that He will never destroy all of creation again with the flood. The sign of that covenant, that promise is a rainbow. He he will preserve His people to the end. Then we jump to the, to the covenant that God makes with Abraham, Genesis 12, 15, and 17. And God tells Abraham this in Genesis 12, verses uh, 2 and 3. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A promise that God will bless this family that's being called out by God so right here we see that God's mission in this world is to save and bring a people to himself so yes God saves the individual he redeems the individual human heart as a individual we have to choose we have to okay Christ I'm going to follow you I'm going to repent and believe the good news and yet so God saves the individual but God saves that individual and then brings them in to a family unites them to a family Once orphaned, now adopted with the Heavenly Father, and so brought near in that regard with one another. So God's desire is not just to save a person, but a group of people, a family, and we see that revealed as early as Genesis. We see this worldwide mission unfolding. Then we skip to Genesis 17, the Lord reminding Abraham of this promise. He says in verses 6 through 8, I will make you extremely fruitful, and I will And will make nations and kings come from you. I will keep my covenant between me and you and your your future offspring throughout their generations. So as an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan as an eternal possession. And I will be their God. The Lord promises offspring and blessing and land to Abraham. And he says there in verse 6, kings will come from this family. So right now, we're looking at one of the kings that have come from this family, as well as being pointed to the king of kings that will come from this family. And in that covenant with Abraham, God is continually saying, if you notice, he says, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will do these things, I will be faithful. I will be true to my promises. I will accomplish what I intend on accomplishing, and nothing will stop that mission. We often say, I will. I'll show up. I will change. I will start this. I will stop this. But then we don't follow through. And yet, God is not made in our image. So our shortcomings are not projected upon a holy and perfect God. We are made in Him, in His image. And so as we look at Scripture, He is a God who is forever faithful, who keeps His promises, who says, I will, and He does. And so a nation begins to form from this promise made to Abraham. And then we get to Moses, and God delivers this nation from slavery, sets them free so they can worship Him. Then at Mount Sinai, in response to being set free from slavery, God calls the people to live for Him, to obey Him. The grace of deliverance comes before the call to obedience. The grace of deliverance comes before the call to obedience because the people are to, call, are, are to obey out of a response that they've been so greatly loved by God. They don't obey in order to try to earn that love. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and then we get to God's covenant with David, David this morning a promised king in this family that God is saving. And one thing we see in the covenant with David is how it both refers back to, it has some of the same language of these previous covenants, specifically the one with Abraham. And one thing we also see is how it points us forward to the coming Christ. So we keep talking about the word covenant, but we look at 2 Samuel 7, and the word you won't find in there is covenant. You won't find that. You, you'll see steadfast love in verse 15. But in Psalm 89, which we read earlier during offering, we see the word covenant referred, referring to this chapter, this moment when God enters into a covenant or a promise with David. Now, before we get into 2 Samuel 7, we need to understand something about these prophetic verses. So I need four uh, Sun Chaser volunteers. First come, first serve. Come on up. First come, first serve. I got, if, if you raise your hand, come on. I'm not going to call on you. Come on up to the stage. I got free fist bumps waiting for you. Um, that's, that's what I'm paying in today. First come, first serve. All right, here we go. Okay. So, let's go. I know your name's not Nathan. You'd be right here. All right. You're right here. Pete, you're back there. Eli, you're back there. And Gracie, you go on the other side of Noah, although that's not Noah of art. So, right here, Gracie's here. This is going to be, your name is now Nathan. Okay? All right. And you are King David. Tell your sister that later today. <laughs> I am king. And you are Solomon. Don't be hurt by that. It's good. You're wise. Um, how many girlfriends you got? No. Um, then Eli, you go back there. Okay? Now, Eli, don't let this go to your head today, but you are, who do you think you're going to be? If you're asked a question in church and I say who, who's a good person to guess? Jesus. You got it. So, all right. So, Gracie, what do you see from this vantage point? Stand kind of behind Noah here. Who all do you see? Do you, does you see everybody? No? Okay, we'll slide this way. That's going to ruin my analogy if you can't see everybody. Okay, you kind of see everybody? Mm-hmm. So you see you see Nathan, but you see David, and then you see Solomon, and then you see who's, who's down there? Yeah, you see Jesus all the way down there. So today, in some of the verses, stay right there for a sec. In some of these verses, what we see is, is the verses speaking to the near so Nathan's, the Lord's going to speak to Nathan. Grace, you can be the, well, you can be the Lord, I guess. Um, <laughs> don't let that go to your head either. Um, the voice of the Lord. Um, so Nathan's going to tell King David, and some of these verses are going to apply to the near, to the immediate context, of the generation that follows David, and then some of these verses are going to speak to the far, the distant. They're going to speak to Jesus all the way down the line. For instance. Uh, One of the verses that we'll look at is speaking of a son who commits iniquity, commits sin, and is going to be disciplined for that. That's Solomon. It's not referring to Jesus because Jesus knew no sin. He was without sin. So right there, it's not speaking of Jesus in that moment. It's speaking to Solomon who will build an earthly temple. But then you, you see forever mentioned in several of these verses. Forever, forever, forever. Well, that's not going to be David or um, solomon it's going to refer to the king of kings the alpha the omega the beginning and the end the forever one who will rule and reign forever and will not pass away like david and solomon all right so just keep this view in mind as we go through this all right thanks thanks for coming up thanks jesus so second samuel seven uh verse one Now when the king, King David, lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in the house of Cedar, but the ark of of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Up until this point, the presence of the Lord dwelled in the ark of the covenant. And the covenant carried the Mosaic covenant, the, the Ten Commandments, the tablets there. It was mobile. It didn't have a permanent home. Uh, last year, I think, or two years ago, Bix and Julie gave me this from um, going along. There's a picture of it up there, I think. Yep. Um, from going on a Middle East trip made of olive wood and super detailed. But it's a, it's a representation of the ark. And this didn't have a permanent home. And David is telling, is, is telling Nathan, I want to build a permanent home for the presence of the Lord. but the Lord is going to turn David's plans on their head. God's thoughts and ways are higher and different than ours. Verse 4, But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my, my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved, with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? So, David, I'm not concerned with you building a house for me. Nor have I been concerned about this since Exodus. He continues to speak to the prophet Nathan. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture. From following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. The Lord wants to remind David of all that he has done. I called you out from tending sheep. I anointed you as king. I've been with you, protected you from Saul's desire to try to kill you. I've overcome your enemies for you. You are my servant, and I am your faithful God. And out of that faithfulness, verse 9, I will make you, make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord told Abraham he would make his name great and give him and his people land to dwell in, and offspring would come. The Lord is making these same promises to David. I will make your name great. I will give you a place in the kingdom. And in this next section, the Lord promises that offspring and future generations will follow David. These promises are building upon the previous ones that have been made to Abraham, that show us the storyline of salvation from Genesis 3, from from, uh, from Adam to Noah to Abraham and to Moses and now to David, the storyline of salvation throughout all Scripture. The Lord continues, Second Samuel 7, verse 11, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. So David had said, I'll build you a house, Lord, and the Lord said, no, I'm going to build you a house, but it's going to be so much more than just a brick and stone house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. God would build a house for David, meaning a family, a kingdom, a dynasty, the house of David. And so again, we see the near and far in these verses. Remember that picture that we looked at earlier with the kids, the, the near of Solomon, the son who will follow David, but the son who will commit iniquity, who will sin against the Lord, who will need to be disciplined by God the Father. And yet we see the far being spoken of. The word forever said three times there. Well, that doesn't refer to David and Solomon. That refers to Jesus. Verse 11, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God promises to make David's kingdom last forever. And in order for that to happen, then another son of David, not Solomon, another son of David will have to come who will reign forever and build a lasting house, a lasting kingdom, a lasting dynasty of people who have been saved by the grace of God set free from the enslavement of sin and now are set free so they can love the Lord, worship the Lord supremely above all else. This son of David, though, will be vastly different than Solomon. He will be eternal. He will be without sin. He will be the one to step on the serpent's head. He will be the one through whom every nation will be blessed. He will be the one who perfectly obeys and fulfills the law he will be without sin. His name is Jesus. And all those Old Testament covenants point to Jesus. This is why Matthew opens up his gospel, his gospel account in Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. He says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew wants that Jewish audience who will read this gospel account to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these promises and come, and, that comes from the same family line a family that God is calling to Himself for His purposes. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus is spoken of as the son of David, which every time we see that, we should think 2 Samuel 7. As we read these words from uh, 2 Samuel 7, what you won't read is the covenant is dependent upon David or that it's dependent upon Solomon, that it's somehow dictated by their behavior. Instead, this is an unconditional covenant. It rests only on God's faithfulness. For this kingdom to be established, God will have to do it. And between 2 Samuel 7 and Matthew 1, you've got a thousand years before the son of David is born, before light breaks through the darkness, before his voice enters the silence. Ten centuries before the promised one. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And in the waiting, the prophets continued to point the people forward to the coming son of David. Isaiah 9, 300 years after 2 Samuel, 700 years before Jesus is born. Isaiah 9, we don't think about it. We think about it during the month of December because it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. This child will be different. This child will be the Son of God and the Son of David. You see in various prophets in the Old Testament, books that we'll get into in the coming months, how they're continually pointing to the coming Messiah in that time of waiting. See, God's faithfulness is not impacted or changed because of time. We need that reminder, don't we? Because we don't always wait with joy and delight, or at least I don't. Waiting is hard. Waiting to be reunited with a loved one, waiting for that prodigal child to turn back, waiting on God's timing to reveal a calling, waiting's hard. But in the waiting, in the supposed silence, God will be faithful. His timing may not be our timing but he will always be faithful. He is faithful over the 1000 years between 2nd Samuel 7 and Matthew 1:1. And he was be faithful and he was faithful before that. And he will be for all eternity. In the waiting we must be people of hope. People who remind one another of the hope we have in Christ. So the Lord has unveiled this promise, this covenant, and what's David's response? Verse 18, notice how many times he says, O Lord God, kids, count them up as we read through this. Verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house, For a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. How many times, O Lord God? Four, thank you. David initially thought that he'd do something great for God in building him this house. But then the Lord turns it around, and David is so awestruck with God's faithfulness. He's brought low in humility that God would be so gracious to him, so faithful to do far more than just build a house, but to build a family, a kingdom, a dynasty, one that would not just last for the generation to follow David, but for all eternity. I love that in the midst of worship, David says, yet this was a small thing in your eyes. This is such a great reminder for us on God, on who He is, on His majesty, His power, His faithfulness? Is there something in your life that has seemed to diminish the greatness or overshadow the greatness, the faithfulness of God? Be encouraged. Big things in our eyes are small things in the eyes of the Lord. That does not mean that they are insignificant to the Lord. It just means compared to Him, they are small and minuscule compared to His greatness, His faithfulness. Kids, continue to count up, O Lord God. Verse 22, Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be His people, making Himself a name, and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be, st- will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing, shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. So how many times, kids? Well, yeah, give or take. There's lots of O, four, eight, somewhere in there. In David's prayer, you just sense this humility, don't you? This reverence, this worship of who God is, how great He is. David's not brought low like he's scum of the earth. He's just brought low to worship a God who is far greater than he is. He's gotten to know the Lord better and it's resulted in worship. Verse 22 said, Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God besides you. For the Christ follower, we are convinced that there is only one true God, the God of the Bible, the God who created us, who created everything, who knows us by name, who saw us in our sin, and our failure, and our rebellion, and set in motion a plan in Genesis 3 to redeem and restore and save People back to a family. People who would trust in the Lord, who would turn from their selfish ways and trust in the Lord because He's faithful. He's altogether good. Three hundred years after Second Samuel, again the prophet Isaiah is writing verse twenty or I'm sorry, chapter twenty five. Isaiah writes in uh, chapter fifty five an, in, an invitation that applies to all of us. For David, as sinners, we come recognizing that we are empty-handed, hungry, and thirsty. That the things we have chased after in this life are worthless compared to the bread of life and the living water found in Christ alone. If you're trusting in Christ, you're in an everlasting covenant with the Lord. You're on the receiving end of steadfast, sure love from the God of all gods. And that's good news. That news should lead us to worship of the Lord in all that we do and all that we say. Isaiah 55 says, Come, everyone who thirsts and is hungry. Then we go to Revelation 22, the last chapter in the last book of the Bible. Jesus has just said in verse 16, I am the root and the descendant of David. And then John records the same invitation to us. Come, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price, meaning salvation is a free gift given to us by the grace of God. Are you trusting in Jesus this morning? Does your heart reflect that heart of David, that heart of worship in Second Samuel 7? A heart that says to the Lord, Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you. May we worship well this week recognizing His faithfulness, recognizing how small things are in His eyes. May we live in a way that's continually saying before the Lord, You are great and there is none like You. Psalm 89.1 again says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known Your faithfulness to all generations. Father, with our words, and with our lives, our actions this week, I pray that we would sing of your steadfast love. I pray that we would be generous in how we communicate that to the next generation. God, thank you that through your word we can get to know you better. I pray that we know you better after looking at this chapter in 2 Samuel. I pray that we are reminded of your faithfulness. God, the areas where we are waiting, the areas where where it seems that we uh, are struggling, in the areas where it seems like circumstances have become big things in our lives, I pray that you'd minister to those areas. The truth of your faithfulness, the truth of your greatness, the truth that there is no one like you would collide with those areas and so that we would worship you and we trust in you in a greater way than we did when we got up this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you have been faithful from Genesis to Revelation. You continue to be faithful to those of us who trust in you. We love you. We thank you for your steadfast love toward us. pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Meet somebody new before you leave. If you need prayed for, prayed with, we'd love to pray with you before you leave. God bless. Have a great week.